On this week's episode, NASCAR goes roaring into the spotlight. WWE getting a refund on its money in the bank. And can Scooby-Doo still find an audience in 2020? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and also the Lakers Fast Break and Inside Sports Fantasy Football. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without my good friend. He's our own Scooby Snack of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com. Also, as well, his great podcast, Topic Ocalypse, and of course, his awesome book which you can get today on Barnes & Noble and Amazon called Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What's up, what's up? I'm just looking at our top 100 film list. A lot of, a lot of surprises on there. There is a lot of surprises on there, and we're going to touch on the back end of the list as voted by you out there. It's not just our choices, but it's so many others that made their decisions on the top 100 list. Basically, everybody that we asked out there that on our social media, they went ahead and made lists of their top 10 films. And from that, we compiled a list of 100 movies, actually about 104 because there were some ties at the back end. But 100 movies, the top 100 movies from Pop Culture Cosmos and the fans that we have, so we're going to go ahead and debut that on the Monday program. Also, we're going to be talking to Marcus De La Garza. He's stopping by to talk about NASCAR. NASCAR is one of the first major sports to hit back onto the road, so to speak. They're going back into a truncated schedule. They're going to do things a little bit differently from this point forward. But they are starting up this weekend. So we're going to talk about that decision how controversial it is, should they be going out there this soon, and who looks like they're going to be the favorite going forward, plus also look into the iRacing experiment and if that was a success for them or not. But first, my friend, I want to ask you real quick, on Deadpool 3, we had some comments by one of the co-creators over the past week, Ryan Liefeld, about Deadpool 3, and he has some very harsh words including hinting maybe saying that not only is Deadpool 3 not going to come around anytime soon, but that it's all Marvel's fault. Just some really harsh words for Marvel in regards to Deadpool. I understand right now everything's in chaos because of coronavirus, but Deadpool 3 was still going through a feeling stage with Disney and Marvel. I know they've had discussions with Ryan Reynolds, but your thoughts on Deadpool 3's delay is Marvel Studios and Disney all to blame on it? 
I don't know how much I believe of that because Deadpool, sorry, is notoriously riddled with production problems and and people behind the scene. Who was the director of the last one who was kind of disgruntled afterwards? Or the guy that got, the director of the first one, he got kicked off, right? Yes, he got kicked off the second one. That is correct. Yeah, because him and Ryan Reynolds were having issues and it sounds like this is just another case of that. This would be dumb not to because Bob Iger has repeatedly come out and say we are going to develop Deadpool. Deadpool is going to be incorporated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in like a uh, you know more mainstream fashion. Ryan Reynolds has gone on and said he has had talks, and those talks took place literally uh, weeks before the whole coronavirus thing happened. So if we're not seeing any movement, it's because of that. I don't, I don't think that Disney has any plans to not use this. It just sounds like, you know, kind of like the case of the director of the first film. It's just a, a disgruntled creator getting kicked off something that he really likes doing. I, I, I honestly don't think that Disney would be foolish enough not to use Deadpool just because of how big of a following it has. And I don't think that they're totally going to discard Deadpool in an R-rated environment. In fact, I think Deadpool 3 will be an R-rated film. I think if he has any interactions, which I think would be awesome if he had interactions with certain segments of the Marvel Universe, I think that's obviously going to be kept at a PG-13 level. But I don't think you'll make a Deadpool 3 and make a PG-13. You may make a PG-13 cut of it, like they did with Deadpool 2, but it initially will come out as an R-rated film. You just don't throw away one of, actually two of the most successful R-rated movies of all time and say, you know what, we're going to just totally neutralize it by making PG-13. Deadpool has to at least be released as an R-rated film. I think it's going to happen. I think that Disney would be very excited to have it happen, especially now because, as you know, they're losing money hand over fist. So having a property like that now in their stable that they can count on at least $700 million worth worldwide once all the theaters get back to normal, people start going to the theaters once again, a movie that could generate that much income and even more. I would gather to say if it's done well and promoted well, It has even an outside chance to become the second R-rated film ever to gain over a billion dollars in worldwide revenue. Yeah, I agree. And with the marketing power of Disney, it could definitely reach new, uh, you know, new benchmarks. It's just, it's, I don't think that now, you know, especially Reynolds having those talks so soon before the coronavirus thing hit, I just don't think that now is a good time to put something like that into production. I would wait until... You know things have leveled out a little bit, and then you have you're not risking, you know, you're not taking such a big risk with it. Wait till people are going back to the movies. Wait till life is kind of resuming in its normal way. Uh, you know, if normal ever happens again, just don't, wait until you you they know what the landscape of movies is going to be like moving forward before they put something like that into production. I think you know a lot of people are upset because they're not doing it now. They want it now, and that's just I don't think that's a smart business decision. And I don't think it was the best choice of words by Robert Liefeld, the co-creator of Deadpool. Obviously, he has the right to say that, and obviously he has more investment in it because of what's gone on with the movies. But I still think, you know, before you go ahead and bash Marvel and Disney, which seems like a low-hanging fruit at certain given points in time, I think now is not the time to go ahead and do that with the whole world right now in disarray because of coronavirus. 
But I do want to touch on something that has been whispered and talked about, and that is Deadpool 3 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you were Kevin Feige and you were thinking under your hat, hmm, how should I go ahead and lay out the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Would you have Deadpool a part of it? I'm saying I would. I would have him a part of it, but try to still keep it separate at the same time with his R-rated films because they're still generating a ton of cash. I mean, I would definitely incorporate him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no reason not to. He's just He would have to be in a setting where he can thrive and do his thing. And if they were to ever incorporate him into like, you know, an Avengers scenario, they could still have him make jokes. Like, look at how, um, look at how Iron Man does it. Like he does, um, Granny's more serious, but like Tony Stark has always made jokes. He's always done even Thor. Thor is pushing the envelope just a little bit. Like they, they can do things like that. They'll just have to tone him down a little bit. And then, you know, what I would do is, when he when he goes back to his R-rated films, I just start like I would talk about it, you know, he because that's what he does. I'd break the fourth wall and I would say, you know, they wouldn't let me say these things in the other movie, you know, just have him do what he does. And that would be a perfect way to carry him across audiences. So right now, Deadpool three, like many other projects right now, is a little bit up in the air. But I think both of us have concluded that Deadpool 3 will happen. I don't think it's all Marvel or Disney's fault. They got this property after the merger and they just wanted to know exactly the type of future or map out the type of future that they're seeing for Deadpool. I don't blame them for not releasing something before the coronavirus when it comes to Deadpool 3. And I certainly don't begrudge them for not having it specifically mapped already out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, they're still thinking about where they're going to fit in the mutants as far as X-Men are concerned. We'll talk about mutants here in a little bit. And then also as well, where do they fit in the Fantastic Four and beyond? So there's so many different characters right now they are going to try and have to fit and squeeze into the Marvel Cinematic Universe while still maintaining Deadpool's popularity at the same point in time. So those are the decisions that they're going to make, uh, well, what Kevin Feige's going to make. So who knows what's under Kevin Feige's hat at this point in time when planning out the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm sure... Well, at least Josh and I are pretty sure that Deadpool is going to be a part of it. What are your thoughts on Deadpool 3? Are you upset that it's not already out already? And, and are you blaming Marvel and Disney for it like Rob Liefeld, the co-creator of Deadpool, is? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Speaking of Marvel, New Mutants <laughs> got another release date, my friend, in August, August 28th. Do you believe it? Or do you not believe it? I believe it. And you know what this this is? This is a uh, move of desperation. This is before they didn't know, you know, they were talking about releasing it on Hulu or what, you know, whatever it might be, their straight to streaming service. But now they're in a pinch. You know, they want something that is going to kind of test the waters, see how people are going to react to new movies in theaters. Are people going to go to the movie theaters? Um, the LA County is closed down for another three months, so they're not going to be opening until the end of July. So this is a perfect time, right, for Disney to put new mutants out there. Do people like it? Will they like it? You know, and they even have started creating hype around it by saying the Falcon and Winter Soldier are going to be visiting the facility where the new mutants takes place. Like it's uh, they're they're testing things. They're they're they want to know. This is this is a expendable film for them. And so why not put it in theaters? This is the perfect chance for them to 
to kind of see how people are going to react. Are they going to go see superhero films? What is the what is the attitude towards it going to be? I totally I totally get this move. I totally understand why they're doing it and why with New Mutants. I'm kind of not. I still think it's being set out to die. I think this movie has been delayed way too many times. I think going on oh, five. Oh, it for sure has been sent out to die. Five times? I think now it's been delayed? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I think it should have gone straight if it was PG-13. I don't know what the final rating of it is right now as we're speaking. But if it's PG-13, I think it would have been fine on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This You're right, though. This movie is literally being sent out to die. It is cannon fodder because they don't know... They need something to, to you know, get people into theaters. Disney needs a movie in theaters, and Mulan is still in July, end of July, I think. But Disney needs like a Marvel property to be in theaters to kind of keep people uh, like a placeholder. So they're using New Mutants because it is an expendable film. They could, they'll probably. I don't know if they're they they're not going to lose any money on it because Fox made it. So it's not really why not you know like the why not try to profit off of it. Well, they actually bought it. I mean, they paid money for Fox, and that's part of the property. So they might be losing a little money on it in the long run. But you never know. New Mutants might be good enough to be a hit. So we'll have to wait and see. Could be. Could be. Could be. But I don't think so on August 28th, around that time. It'll come just a week after Wonder Woman, and people will still already be invested in Wonder Woman if they're going to the theaters at all. They'll probably be still wanting to check out Wonder Woman before the New Mutants, but you never know. You never know. I don't even know if that's going to be the actual final date, you know. But you think for sure that it's going to be for sure, for sure this time around on August 28th? Yeah, we'll get breaking news, and it's actually going to be released yesterday. Exactly. I mean, I've seen the movie posters, all six of them, for the various times it said it was going to come out. So I... I just feel bad for that movie. Just like I said, it's it's at this point. I think people are just apathetic towards it, and like you and I believe, it's just being sent out to die. Yeah. Well, the actors are all really proud of it, so I mean, I'm I'm at least willing to give it a chance. Like I'll pay. Well, the, the... actors are all now in their forties because it's taken so. Long. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, I'm I I don't know about you, but I'm willing to pay the eleven dollar hopefully matinee price to go see it. Then you better gear up, my friend. You better gear up to go see. <laughs> well, from what I understand, after Dark Phoenix, it can only go. Things can only go up from there. So this is you know, true. This is true. Get your mask. Get your mask. Remember, I worked on Outbreak. Need I say more? I was going to make a bad joke about catching a strand of coronavirus that's going to make you turn into a mutant while watching New Mutants. There you go. Could possibly happen. What are your thoughts out there on New Mutants coming in August? Are you still interested in it? Do you think it's being sent out to die by Disney and Marvel? Would you rather prefer that it gone straight to Disney Plus, which is probably going to end up being anyways? If it does come out in August, it'll probably be coming out by December. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. 
Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Well, before we go ahead and meet up with Marcus de la Garza, just want to get a couple things in here. PlayStation Studios and Unreal 5, Epic debuted Unreal 5, the engine in a tech demo this week for PlayStation 5, but also I'm assuming for Xbox Series X. Your thoughts on how good it looked, my friend? You know, this is another, we talked about this before, it was uh, the Final Fantasy demo back in uh, 2017, I think it was, that they showed. Like, it was it was a tech demo, and we're like, oh, okay, that looks cool. And then, you know, they didn't end up using that at all. So, it to me, it, it goes back to our conversation from before. Like, it, is it, sure, it looks cool, but I mean, are all the games going to look like that? Because it's a cinematic that we're seeing. It's not a, you know, in-game footage. And it's also, it doesn't look any better or worse than some of the cinematics that we've, you know, seen in years past. So, I mean, it's not, I'm not uh, blown away by it, but like it does look like, just, you know, just the the lighting and the way everything moves. It, it looks like it has potential, but it's not something I'm really you know blown away by i'm not like oh this is going to launch us into the next era of games i just i i feel like video game graphics and televisions we've kind of reached a pinnacle for now nothing impresses me to the point where my jaws dropping at this uh, you know with vr or the graphics i mean you and i have seen way too many presentations way too many trailers way too many tech demos over the years that have impressed me to that point I mean, like you said, it's going to be a while before games get as good-looking as Unreal 5 right now or the tech demo was trying to show off. But with the new generation around the corner, hopefully it can go ahead and capitalize on that with the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5. I know the PlayStation 5 was kind of working in conjunction with Epic on this Unreal 5 tech demo, but... I would be surprised if Unreal 5 never comes to Xbox Series X. I would assume it's going to be meant for all those platforms. One last thing on PlayStation, my friend, and that's the PlayStation announcing at its first-party studios will all be wrapped around the nice moniker of PlayStation Studios. Your thoughts on them following in the footsteps of Microsoft? I think it's a good idea. It's cuz well, look, you have Sony Santa Monica, you have Sony Montreal, so like there's Sony's all over the place. Like it, it's too confusing. You know, make it one neat logo, one neat company. Just make it one thing, you know, and that's that's going to make things a lot easier. You know, is it a good idea for them? Yeah, I, I just you know, I don't imagine it's going to affect game development. I imagine they'll still have all the studios open in Santa Monica, Montreal, wherever else and all the brands in one place. I think that's a good idea. I just, I, I'm still hoping that they'll go back on their backwards compatibility promises and, uh, you know, let us play old games on the new console. That's the thing I want the most. If I do decide after a while, because after the demos that were shown and the lack of gameplay that was shown last week, I'm off the board on buying a next generation system. But if it comes around, like we said, and the full backwards compatibility is there, I mean, original Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One for the Xbox Series X, and PlayStation, PlayStation 2, 3, and 4 for PlayStation 5, although I don't think PlayStation will go that far back as far as backwards compatibility, at least try, at least make an effort to go ahead and go a little bit back, at least to PlayStation 3. 
I'll be more interested in those type of systems and getting a system maybe at that time, but I'm still a wait and see at what the developments will be with the next generation. And, and even if they don't go all the way back to the PlayStation 1, don't make people pay $25 a month to go back and play old games through PlayStation Now. Like, that is the biggest ripoff I've ever seen in my life because you can go on Games Pass on Xbox, pay $10 a month, and you can play things that go all the way back to the first generation Xbox. $20 is a huge ripoff, especially like if you want to play, you know, say you want to play God of War, the original one. You can go to a game store, like a retro game store, and you could buy the game for $4. Why are you going to pay $20 a month to play it? You know, it just it doesn't make sense. But people are like, oh, Sony, Sony, Sony. I love Sony. And they're going to pay it anyways. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Ah, let the fanboy arguments begin. What are your thoughts out there on PlayStation and Xbox and also the Unreal 5? Were you so impressed with the tech demo that you're excited for the next generation? Share your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. And last but not least, before we meet up with Marcus de la Garza, Scoob hitting the home video market this weekend, my friend. And I wanted to ask you this on Scoob, which was originally meant to be on the big screen, but it's following the footsteps of Trolls World Tour as a movie that was meant for box office first, and instead it's, it's going the way of straight to home video. So I want to hear your thoughts if Scoob, Can Scoob, which is the title of the new Scooby-Doo movie that's out, Can Scoob be the next Trolls World Tour? I think that Scoob is going to do better than Trolls World Tour. That's just my thought on it. They're already doing a really great job marketing it. You go to Target, you go to Walmart, there are three or four sections of Scoob toys and Scoob memorabilia, Scoob shirts, Scoob bath towels, Scoob scrubbers. Like they're... They're doing a really great job of marketing the film. And I think sending it straight to on-demand or, you know, video on-demand is a, a great idea for them, especially since it could be a long time before parents take their kids to, to the movie theaters. You know, this, this is assuming that life will have some resemblance of what it used to be when, you know, come fall or, or winter of next year. But I think that giving kids the ability to watch Scoob from home, like, I think that's a great idea, especially since... Scooby-Doo is more of a love property than Trolls is. I think it definitely has a bigger chance of, of succeeding in that market, and especially you know if, if Trolls was able to do it, I think Scoob will do a lot better. Well, I hope Scoob will do a lot better because I love the Scooby-Doo property a lot more than Trolls World Tour. I'm not so sure because I thought the novelty of it bypassing the theaters the first time around for Trolls World Tour People got caught up in that, especially at the beginning of being isolated due to the coronavirus. I'm not sure if it'll garner as much, but I think the movie will garner some success on home video that it would not have gotten before because it had already come out in theaters. But again, it's still going to lose money, comparatively speaking, to what it would have done had it gone to the theaters first and then home video second. Just like Trolls World Tour. No matter how well Trolls World Tour does on home video it will never fully replace going to the theaters first and then home video second no i agree but i also think that the model for successful films is going to change too once people are able to go to the theaters again because there's going to be less people doing it so uh you know i just i'm curious to see how that's going to play out but i definitely think that scoob has the potential to do well especially since 
you know, we're reaching that point where summer vacation, quote unquote, vacation is about to start and kids will not be working anymore. And parents are going to be looking for more ways to keep their kids entertained while they're working. So it's just it. It's a it's a great time to release a movie like Scoob, you know, especially since like the James Gunn ones were were funny sometimes, but they are kind of miss miss uh, or overestimations on you know what Scooby Doo fans want from a Scooby Doo film. I think there's kind of a, a good chance for them to redeem that that uh, film property too. As long as you're not bringing Scrappy Doo back, because if you do, I will just leave the Scooby-Doo franchise forever. We don't want to talk about that. What are your thoughts out there on Scoob as it hits home video this weekend? Are you planning to see it? Are you and the family going to go ahead and gather around and have some Scooby snacks and watch some Scoob this weekend? And what are your thoughts on the movie itself, on achieving that kind of success? Do you think it'll match or beat what the success was for Trolls World Tour? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, we've got our good friend Marcus De La Garza here to talk about NASCAR returning to the track this weekend. And then right after that, we're going to be talking to Noah Ian Fine from the Hunnic Outcast. He's going to be talking about Money in the Bank coming up on the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. <laughs> Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. back with the program it's gerald glassford coming right back at you here and with the ongoing pandemic and everybody concerned about what's going on in the world and getting everything restarted one of the sports leagues that's out there that's taking the jump on everything out there is nascar so nascar is going to be starting up this weekend sans crowds so they'll still be hitting the racetrack but it'll be only teams and drivers and only, uh, I guess, needed personnel there. And here to talk about the, what the rest of the season will look like for NASCAR is a good friend of mine. You got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today all over the place on social media. It is Marcus De La Garza. And Marcus, just always great to have you back on the program. 
Thank you, Gerald. And thank you to the Pop Culture Cosmos family for having me back again. I really love doing this. As you guys can tell, I love talking NASCAR. So to have an outlet like this to come on and share my, my perspective with you, I, I really love it. And thank you so much. Oh, no problem. I love uh, throwing something in there like this every now and then. It, it makes for good pop culture conversation. NASCAR is returning this weekend as we're going to be talking about this. And as you're hearing this, it's returning back the weekend of the 17th. And I want to ask you this. Is it the right time for NASCAR? I mean, they want to go ahead and jump the gun and beat almost every major sport out there, as I just said and just indicated. Is it the right time for NASCAR to return, or do you think it's a little bit too soon? That's a very big question to answer, and I'll tell you a couple things. You know, I'm not an infectious disease doctor or epidemiologist, so whatever I say is just jargon at this point. But my personal opinion, I think it's a little bit too early. That being said... The fact that we've got racing this weekend, I'm pretty excited about, despite my reservations. And uh, we actually might have a more interesting TV product because of this. NASCAR is going to be at Darlington this weekend. It's a 1.36 mile oval. We actually have two races here this week. We've got May 17th on Sunday and then May 20th on Wednesday. We're doing a 7.30 p.m. race as well. These are going to be outstanding races. I do think it's too early. Think about all the extra personnel you've got to bring into a track and expose those people as well especially in times where I don't know if South Carolina's had a, de a decrease in their uh, overall count, their overall COVID counts. So it's definitely an interesting decision, but you know, they've, I'm sure they've weighed all the options. They've done all the risk assessments and they're ready to go, but I would say it's too early. I'd give it another week, but you know what, they're going to do their best. And uh, that's all we can ask. You know, if we come out of this next week and or two weeks from now, we've got, you know, a hundred cases that sprung from this weekend I mean, that'll at least be the indicator for all other major sports. Don't start. Exactly. And and like I was saying earlier, the NBA, which I do a lot of stuff on as far as podcasts with the Lakers fast break, I know they were excited to hear other sports leagues like NASCAR jumping the gun and going headfirst into it as far as the schedule is concerned because that took a lot of pressure off them. And I know that NASCAR, I agree with you. I think it maybe lose a little bit too soon. We're still trying to gauge the second wave is going to be something as you know many have feared that could possibly happen as far as our getting back to some semblance of normalcy, some semblance of our society, and that possible second wave that could hit. And you know we're we're about ready to see if that's going to happen because not of these states have already started or in the process of starting up once again with a lot of things that we know and you know we're we're used to in our daily lives. So NASCAR heads to us, like you said, with two races coming here in the next few days. It's very important now for NASCAR is going to get the spotlight. And this is a chance for NASCAR under these conditions to go ahead and reshape the way they produce television. Absolutely. And here's actually one of the big takeaways that I had from the improved TV product that we might have this weekend. And that is that. The drones that were in use at Daytona this year by the Rotor Riot crew, it's an entire drone crew. I follow these guys on, on YouTube and everything. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys know I'm a drone nerd. I build drones. I love drones, everything drones. But the Rotor Riot crew was actually out at Daytona and filmed a lot of Daytona via the drones and the stuff we saw via the drones on TV. So one of the big things that NASCAR's already said is with no fans in the stands, those drones can actually operate over the stands now and give us an entirely different perspective that we've never had. So imagine a drone running alongside a car down the front straightaway at Darlington. It's going to be nuts. 
you know, and, and just the fact that maybe we actually will have some different TV perspectives, different camera perspectives that we wouldn't normally have because you can set up a camera right in the middle of the grandstands and, and get it capture a different perspective. So I'm really hoping that Fox really pushes the creative bounds here because there, there's a really big chance for a wonderful TV product. Recently, during this time of pandemic, the NASCARs and the IndyCars of the world, those leagues got together in a form and a fashion of iRacing which is something that I've been familiar with for years now, which has been somewhat popular. It is basically a racing simulation, a high-end racing simulation, because it's actually pretty costly to get into it. And I guess the, the groups on NASCAR and IndyCar really started to embrace once the pandemic hit and they were forced, the drivers were forced you know, off the roads and in, inside their house. And it's something that I think worked very well for IndyCar I think kind of worked well for NASCAR for the most part with one major controversial exception. Yeah. I'll go into that in a second. But the thing I liked the best was that something I wanted to return for a long time was IROC, the International Race of Champions, which is something that goes back my day to my early childhood. And and, uh, as far as something that I was watching on TV way back when, when we get all the stars from the different racing formats involved. And iRacing was still managed to go ahead and do that with equal cars on the same footing and and recreate that. And I thought that was fun. I thought the Indy Racing League, it brought them into a higher light because iRacing, even with the declining ratings of NASCAR, IndyCar Racing was still thought of as a second tier league at this point in time. NASCAR, like I said, did okay as far as the presentation is concerned. They tried very hard. Fox analysts and and, uh, the commentators were there, Jeff Gordon commentating on the race, uh, Jeff Burton and all that. I want to hear your thoughts on the iRacing experiment per se, as far as all these different drivers, some of them who already had experience and who use iRacing as a, I guess, a simulator, uh, you know, as a way for them to go ahead during the off season and, and continue to practice and stay sharp. But I want to hear your thoughts on the iRacing experiment, especially for NASCAR and the controversial things that happened because of Kyle Larson. Just right out the gate, Gerald, I just want to go ahead and say that I thought that the e-racing that we did, the the e-NASCAR series that we did was outstanding. Just the iRacing product in general was great. And you mentioned IndyCar. They had a pretty big surge in popularity. Of the two series, uh, I'm going to say the better presentation, I think, was done by NASCAR. But the one that benefited more was IndyCar. IndyCar, yeah. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. They, um, I wouldn't say that their presentation was overall better. It was just they, they got the most out of the, out of the experience there. They had better exposure for their drivers for the first time in a while. You could see a little more of that personality coming through, and people could identify with those drivers easier. Whereas NASCAR, you're kind of used to seeing or hearing a lot of these drivers talk. They give pre- press conferences nonstop. You, 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 know, you hear them on commercials while you listen to the the race or watch the race you know it's they're everywhere so it's it's not like nascar was trying to bridge that gap at all but you brought up irock and that's something that was very important to me while i watched this entire series is we actually for the first time in who knows how long actually had a a racing product that was a hundred percent about driver skill because and and i say that because every week the drivers were given the exact same setup. You know, the only thing that was different was the the badging on the car on the outside of the simulated car, right? Like, but at, at the end of the day, the engineering that went into it was exactly the same. And the only thing that was allowed to be changed were, you know, tire pressures and 
you know, you could change your wedge adjustments, stuff like that, stuff that you could do on the track in the race you were allowed to do, but that was it. Denny Hamlin said it best. I read an article about his time doing this uh, e-racing series. I think I read it yesterday. Maybe it was today, this morning. But he was just saying that it, it felt good to book in. He actually won the first one and he won the last one. He was saying that for the first time in, in a while, he uh, had a very good grade of where he sat skill-wise with regard to everybody else on track. Because for the first time in forever, you actually had identical setups. So you could actually gauge driver skill and not just driver skill plus car setup or driver skill minus car setup, you know, whatever it may be. It was interesting to, to kind of hear that perspective because you never think about these drivers also wanting to measure themselves against everybody else because that happens every week on the track to a certain extent. Joe Gibbs racing cars are going to have the best technology in them, whereas Gaunt Brothers with Daniel Suarez has the worst Toyota tech in, in the business right now. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. But you did bring up Kyle Larson. What were your thoughts on that? That was pretty in insane how that all broke out over 48 hours. We should tell their listeners, too. He made a racial slur on one of the e broadcasts of, of one of the NASCAR race, and uh, he thought he was off mic it doesn't really matter if you thought he was on or off mic but he, he made a very blatant racial slur and it was uncalled for and, and it was a bad look for him so and let's like you said in 48 hours not only was dropped by the sponsors and of course you know if you're dropped by the sponsors guess what you're gonna be dropped by your team so yeah. he would, chip ganassi said hit the road jack and uh you know what it it was well deserved because you don't say those type of things like you said on or off mic on or off camera yeah. uh wasn't called for and i understand you really get into the iRacing and, and i it's a credit to iRacing as far as the ability to as close as possible realistically translate that type of experience and so many different times i've seen these competitive pro racers i'm not talking about the guys the youtubers and things of that nature i've watched for years now on iRacing they always get upset you know once you right. get to a certain level they're very competitive but to see the joseph newgardens to see that like you said kyle larson's unfortunately in, in his case and to see the dale earnhardt's and juniors and so many different other types of individuals that were in the irock the the nascar the indycar series in iRacing take it so seriously and to have those same type of emotions, it just shows you that the iRacing experiment for me overall was a big success. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with that. So we're going back on the track for real. I wish they would kind of stay actually in home and iRacing a little bit longer, but again, they're going to be uh, out on the track very soon. So I want your thoughts at the time of the ending of the season, as it ended because of the pandemic, Kevin Harvick had a slight lead over Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, and Alex Bowman, with Jimmy Johnson at a surprising fifth right now in the series as well. So I want to hear your thoughts on the rest of the season because the track layouts are going to be different this time around. So they're going to go ahead and be a little bit favorable to another driver as opposed to another driver the way it was before. So I want to hear your thoughts on the rest of the season and how it may play out in your opinion on which drivers may come out ahead in this truncated season? That's a very interesting question. I think with the fact that we haven't had any practice over the last nine weeks, I think we've been on a total of a nine-week hiatus. Yeah, that's it. We haven't had any practice other than the iRacing stuff. And then we're going to hit Darlington this weekend totally green. Nobody gets practice. I think we're, we're literally just rolling the line, green track, 
no practice, nothing, just go for it. With that being said, this is going to be a very interesting product moving forward. And it's, it's going to definitely, like you said, it's going to favor certain drivers. What that is right now, I couldn't tell you because I'm not sure the schedule that we have is actually going to stay. We've got a lot of things that are very fluid right now with the scheduling for NASCAR, but all things being considered here, and, and let's just go ahead and assume that everything goes the right way and we have a, a season for the rest of the, the, the year here, I wouldn't foresee a big shakeup in the top 12 that we currently have, right? You know, you've got your seventh place individual, Kyle Larson. Actually, you'll see it. Yeah, you'll, we'll, we'll see the shift in that one. But for the most part, the guys that are up there are going to stay there. You know, in 12th right now is Kyle Busch. He's not going to stay in 12th. You, you and I both know that, Gerald. That's that's crazy. I, I can't believe he's in 12th place overall right now, period. <laughs> you will see Kevin Harvick will probably come back strong. Kyle Busch is actually the favorite to win this weekend. He's six to one odds. Believe it or not, Matt Kenseth uh, stepping into that 42 car for Kyle Larson after his big debacle. Matt Kenseth is a 33 to one odds for winning there. Uh, he's got better odds than a few of the other drivers that have been driving full time for the last two years. So this is going to be a very interesting mix up. The fact that guys haven't been racing, haven't been driving, haven't been doing much over the last nine weeks is definitely going to put a, a, a interesting spin on things. One or two names to watch out for uh, to make that move up from lower down uh, from further down in the standings, though. Watch out for William Byron. He had a few wins on the iRacing series he might actually have found his confidence racing a simulator against the guys that he races in cup. So we'll see if that confidence translates onto the track. I think it's possible that it will. And if it does, we actually might see this golden boy show up for the first time in a while. The other one I'm kind of worried about though is, and he's got a good position right now. He's in sixth, Ryan Blaney. I feel like he started out great this year. He's got one top five and three top tens, but he's only led two laps. And by this point last year, I think he had led several more than that. So that's kind of my, my stance on it. We really, really, really have to wait and see what the final schedule is here. Whenever NASCAR announces it is going to be the big determining factor there. Hey, this NASCAR season is, is really going to be a, a wild ride for the, not for the first time in forever. Cause we get silly season every year, but it's going to be a wild ride. Big questions abound. And I agree with you on William Byron. He did find his groove on iRacing, and we'll see how far that goes for the number 24. My pick to actually drop a little bit would be Eric Camarola because of the fact that he hasn't led many more laps than Ryan Blaney, and he's up in eighth position right now. I think that may be a little bit too high for him. He's good for like a 12th position finish by the end of the season. That's great. You know, good for you, Eric Almarola. You've got to keep growing as a driver, though. His skill's almost there, though. I think give him another year, and he's going to be running consistent top 10s, maybe even top 5s. It's yep. something definitely to look forward to. It's going to be, like you said, a wild ride in NASCAR coming up very soon for all of us out there that follow the sport. I wish, again, all the best for you and continued success as you continue to report in on pop culture, NASCAR, whatever you want to talk about here on this show. Once again, it's Marcus De La Garza. You got to catch what he's doing today on social media, either through us. If you got a question for us, go ahead, hit us up at Pop Culture Cosmo. I'll be glad to relate it along. Marcus, again, it's so great to have you on the show. Continue success to you, and I wish you all the best from us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.
If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. He's back again talking some WWE. Just this past week, it's been very influential and very newsworthy as far as the WWE is concerned because they just had their Money in the Bank match, which actually they kind of recorded a few weeks ago. But they just played their WWE Money in the Bank match on the WWE Network and had a major decision as well from Becky Lynch on the most recent Monday Night Raw. And here to talk to me today about the Money in the Bank is my good friend. You got to catch him today on Hunnic Outcast. You go ahead and find that on Facebook today. Hunnic Outcast, it's a great place to be for a nice group talking all the stuff that's going on in pop culture. Plus also we're going to talk a little bit about The Undertaker as well. Yes. It's Noah Ian Fine. And Noah, just great to have you back on the show. Uh, as always. You know, I, I know that WrestleMania 36 had a bad taste in our mouths. I'm not going to go through the entire pay-per-view because I, I, I think people are pretty much just talking more about that money in the bank scenario yeah, itself. But I just want to say one quick thing, though, about a couple of the matches really quick. I think our truth is underrated. I did think it was weird that he just came and did his what's up rap when nobody was there. But the way that he was playing off, he did have some chemistry with our truth and Bobby Lashley came in. He should have been in the Money in the Bank and not Aleister Black or definitely King Corbin because Corbin from WrestleMania 36, I'm not impressed. This King gimmick, he looks like an idiot and there's really nothing they can do with him. And as for the Bray Wyatt Braun Strowman match. It told a good story, but I was kind of hoping the fiend would come out. And yet, somehow, if this was live, it might have gotten a bigger pop. Other than that, though, let's just get right into it. What everybody's been wanting to talk about the money in the bank ladder matches. This was kind of interesting because. Well, the concept is there. Let me give a little bit of uh, background yeah. on it. The WWE is currently looking for a new location. They're moving away their, from their Titan Towers, or at least that's their desire, is to move away from their iconic Titan Towers building of, what, many years now? What, over 20, 30 years, perhaps? And they're looking to find a new location. And what better way to go ahead and leave your existing location than have a Money in the Bank match, right? Well, that's what I don't see. You know... I was in Connecticut a couple times, and I got to pass by the Titan Towers once. It's not a huge building. It really is just maybe looks like four floors to it. You can't go in. You know They don't allow visitors or anything. They don't do a tour. It's a shame. I guess they'll never have the Hall of Fame Museum. But I hate to break it to you. The same way that I went to the Warner Brothers studio, it's a building, and it has the logo on it. If you're lucky, you'll see a couple of superstars walking in and out, and maybe you'll get a picture with them. But that's a gigantic if. Past all of it, it just seems like where else could the building go? I mean, Vince lives in Connecticut, and the whole big thing was back then is that if you wanted to be nice with Vince and he working with Vince, and he said, okay, I know you live in Tennessee, but I really think you should move to Connecticut and be closer to me, and that's what uh, you know a lot of these guys would do. 
I don't know where he's going to go now, what they're going to do with the building, but this money in the bank. Okay, so this is almost like the Boneyard of the Firefly Funhouse match. And, you know, this almost feels pure 80s. This almost feels like Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, if you remember that show that came and went. They come into these live comedic segments or, you know, they would guest star on, on a show here or there. This thing was bizarre because you had the men and the women competing at the same time. And for the women, they were in the lobby, and the men were somewhere in the fitness center. And out of all the women that were in this Money in the Bank ladder match, I got to ask you, if you could pick one, who do you think should have not been in this? Because I think you know who I don't think should have been in this ladder match. That's a tough question. Uh, I'm gonna probably say Otis because you know. He, well, not not the men, but the women. The women at this uh, point, because the women, I'm gonna go. I go ladies first. Okay. Well, the ladies, I would probably say Lacey Evans. Yes. You see, there you go. Great minds think alike. She has not won one pay per view. She's not connected with the fans. Her Southern Bell whatever is not working, and every time she go, I mean Royal Rumble. There was no pop, no connection. WrestleMania 36, same thing. Here, I, I mean, I did see the behind the scenes, what she looks like without the makeup. Yeah, okay, she's married to a Marine. She was in the Marine Corps. But you know what? There are a lot of other people that were, and it's not connecting. People were bored at Royal Rumble when she faced against Bailey. I would have taken her out, and I would have seen to add some more tension and drama. You should have put in Sasha Banks is what I thought was going to happen. Dana Brooke, I would almost go as well because I'm not too sure why they put her in there. There are all these other talented women that they have. It would have been better to put in Mandy Rose because you got Otis on the other side. And speaking of the guys, yeah, Otis is interesting. I don't know if he's ready to be main event material, but now the problem is well, we'll get to Otis, but here's the thing we got Rey Mysterio, who was a former uh, champion, and whether or not he wanted or you know, because of Eddie Guerrero's death, was he good enough to hold the belt back in 2006? He, he held it for a few months. You can argue what he can do. The second problem with this was all these cameos. We had Brother Love come in for reasons I don't know why. We had a doink. Fake doink. A yeah, fake, a fake doink. doink. Yeah, we had a fake doink. We had John Laurinaitis, which I'm not too sure what he was doing on that mobile. I, I don't even remember the last time he was part of the WWE. And then we had Paul Heyman that, okay, well, you know, he's fat, you see, so he's going to eat everything at the catering table, and then we're going to have a food fight that goes back to 1990s Saturday Night's main event during Oktoberfest. It makes zero sense. The only one that did get over was the Vince McMahon segment. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that I never knew he had the Tyrannosaurus Rex fossil in his office because we've never really seen his office. At least I haven't. But past all that, that was also comedic that I guess he had AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan fight in the office and then put the chairs back and argue and then fight again. And Styles having flashbacks of being buried alive from Undertaker and going into a room undertaker had to have some sort of cameo for this to work and that didn't that wasn't doing it they're looking at the poster and and playing music every now and then and, and playing music while this is going on oscar when she came in and I, and I watch her videos on youtube and i and i see what she can do with the guys and and a lot of guys are impressed with her workout but 
her screeching and her comedic villainy. And in the beginning when she's jumping off of, of the second floor onto the women and using the elevator and going like this, to, you know, and they don't know where the roof is, even though Lacey claims that she's a Marine and she scoped out the building. Everybody got lost trying to find a way up four floors to get to the roof. It's yeah, up. And, and, well, there, there's a lot of logistical issues. I will say this about Asuka. It's the right move at this point in time to have her be the women's champion because she is the closest thing to a legitimate superstar for the women right now on the Raw side. I think that there's no one else that is close. I just think that, you know, you've built her up with her NXT run. You've tried to bring her down a little bit with some decisions that were kind of like, eh, right after the, she had won the SmackDown Women's Championship. But she is clearly at the head of the class right now, in my opinion. I think it's something that is just, it was a good move by the WWE. I think Becky Lynch, of course, she, she was very charismatic, and, and I think the, they want, the company wanted to continue with her in the spot. But obviously due to the pregnancy, I think Asuka is the right choice because there is no one right now in the raw field that can compete right now on the same level as her. They just don't think they either have the seasoning or the charisma or the connectivity, or anything of that nature uh, that compares to Asuka at this point in time. Yeah, her dances may get a little bit on you. She may overdo it from time to time. But the way she interacts with no audience is still better than anyone else Gun's got right now in the women's market. I'm glad that she's won. I'm glad she got the belt. I understand because Becky got pregnant, and, and Asuka, you know, she won the belt, and she's still congratulated Becky. And if this was live, it, it, it would have brought down the house. But... The, the problem that I still have with this is that the superstar's dignity, I can't take them seriously while they're having a food fight and racing to try to get to the bill. And even that's uh, – oh, well, the, well, the logistics of it was bad. I mean you're right. Asuka should have won it within 10 seconds because she's the first one in the elevator and she got in the elevator. Why don't you just go up all the way to the top? I mean the way they mapped this out, there was some good stuff in it. I'm going to give WWE credit for that, but the logistics and the intelligence of the way they, they brought it off about, like I said, Asuka, why didn't she just go all the way to the top if she reached the elevator? The same thing with the guys that got into the elevator. Why didn't they just go all the way to the top in the first place? And then the fact that why was Baron Corbin at the very end after a long dragged out sequence that took place once they got to the top, why is Baron Corbin Thank trying to Thank you. Take Thank why? you. I asked that too because I don't – there, there were two suitcases there. Well, let me just explain to listeners. There were two suitcases there, one for the men and one for the women. And as Asuka was reaching for it and about ready to unhook it, Baron Corbin tries to stop her until she kicks him away off the ladder with the men's suitcase on the side. And they never explained that. And they haven't explained it to this day why Baron Corbin was doing that. And the stupidity in that is just – it's just reason why that – you have, like I said to you as you were watching this match, is that they filmed this four weeks ago. Why doesn't somebody go ahead and after editing it all, take a look at it and point these things out that we can point out within seconds? It just doesn't make any sense. You have AJ and Corbin that are fighting over this. Otis being Otis is trying to climb the ladder, but he's 345 pounds and he keeps breaking the rungs of the ladder apparently because he's fat, you see, even though it, it could hold more than 300 something pounds, but he can't understand why he can't climb up the ladder. So he's walking around and muttering or whatever and being Otis. And you have 
Corbin and AJ, I'm thinking, okay, now it's going to go, you know, AJ is going to be rewarded for whatever reason because of what happened with Undertaker or Corbin. They're going to push him for whatever reason. But then Elias comes out of nowhere. Didn't even know he was there. Forgot about their feud. Hits Corbin in the back with the guitar. And then all of a sudden the briefcase, even though AJ was holding it, he fumbles it. Otis catches it. And that's it. Otis wins the money in the bank. And to me, I guess Vince saw something in Otis, and I guess if the fans were there, they they would have, I don't know, either, either said great. This but, is a well. Hold on. This is to me is a case of having a smaller storyline, which works a little bit, which they're trying to go ahead and make into a big storyline, which most likely will not materialize into being good once it gets blown up into a larger portion. It's a nice mid card storyline. It's being prompted up to a main event storyline, and that is the problem because it doesn't have the heft, it doesn't have the weight of that, and Otis at this point in time is not what you would consider a world champion-level wrestler. No, and, and that's the other thing I don't understand as well is that I forgot who he was feuding for over Mandy Rose. Was it Dolph or was it was it Dolph I think, Ziggler? I think it was Dolph Ziggler, yeah. Yeah, so that's the other question then. Why isn't Dolph in this Money in the Bank? Why isn't Mandy in this money in the bank. Why Dana Brooke and not Mandy? And why Alistair Black and not Dolph? If, if, if you're trying to put fuel on the fire with this thing or or whoever uh, Mandy's rival was that, that was trying to set up Dolph and, and, and Mandy to begin with to, to – I forget who, who Mandy's former best friend was that screwed up Otis's date. They could have done so much with – and instead it's like, okay, Otis, well, people like you even though we – barely are on live anymore. I mean, I'm kind of glad that it went to somebody that wasn't samey, but on the other hand, the way it went to him, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this because who is he, like, who, who, who's going to be his, his feud with now? Is it going to go back to Dolph? Is it going to go to The Fiend? Are they going to give it? They, they, they still play musical chairs, and that's a problem with whatever championship because if he had his otis on smackdown yes otis is on smackdown and some major decisions have been made and some new faces are going ahead in as far as maybe either at or near a championship level so we'll see how that transpires in the coming months noah i know i'm going to see you soon when you finish up your 10 box arts 10 days 10 box arts we're going to see you soon for your thoughts on that so you can share that with our audience looking forward to that just appreciate your time and thank you so much again Gerald, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much, my friend, for being a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. Once again, I want to thank... Marcus De La Garza for being part of it, and also as well, Noah Ian Fine. Any last thoughts on the way out? I think we covered everything. I'm going to you know, give this top 100 list a, a more thorough read-through, but you can still vote now. Send us your top 10 put on email, popculturecosmosyahoo.com, or go on the uh, Facebook page and post your top 10 films and get you added onto this list. And that is popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. I know there's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about on the Monday program, so I'm looking forward to it. I've got some great guests, including Jessica Boggs with 
part one of her May TV update. So she's going to be talking about some of the major networks there. And TJ Johnson's coming by as well to talk some pop culture for us. Glad to have him back. The new daddy is ready to talk about some great things going on in the realm of pop culture. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great